club were, st- we're still at the popcorn counter, having not managed to make it see the film uh, this time, because Ooh. we have still got uh, Mike Primer with us. Uh, after having had a chat last week about uh, recording uh, for mainstream Hollywood cinema, we've actually spent the whole week sitting at the popcorn counter because this is your favourite food. Is that right? This is what you just told me a minute ago. I love popcorn. It's uh, my favorite snack. This is why I said a man's born to the film industry. Yes. That's right. Yeah. I and in fact, just here for the popcorn. <laughs> I, well, I love it so much that I usually make my own and bring it into the cinema inside my jacket. Is that, is that allowed? Oh. Yeah. That's the. That's I, now, the I'm, now I'm picturing like deep secret pockets. You know, it's twofold. It's the, it's the thrifty Yankee in me, but it's also like taste. Yeah. I, I prefer yeah. my own popcorn to the uh, cinema. Uh, um, huh. Much to my family's chagrin because they <laughs> prefer the buttery yeah. deliciousness. But That ain't butter. Think how much money you've saved, though. Now, so wait a second. Now, so you two guys worked together on a film twenty-five years ago, which is part part of the reason why we arranged to meet here in the first place at all. So, uh, I know I have watched this film. I've seen it for the first time uh, last week. Uh, tell me a bit more, Andrews. What is the film that you two made together? So this is the 21st, uh, 25th, 25th, did I say that properly? 25th anniversary of Debutante, the coming out of Stephen Ray Liedlich, which was a mockumentary, I guess. I, I think that's how you would characterize it now. Um, we, I think we all loved um, Spinal Tap in 1984 or something like that when that came out, and that felt like one of the real... Um, First mockumentaries and uh, Christopher Guest's whole gang that he put together and and have done so many great mockumentaries since then. But uh, yeah, 25 years ago, started shooting in 1997, and uh, we made this film um, based on sort of the, the talents of uh, a good friend of ours, Stephen Ray Liedlich, who was an upright guitarist. So for me, it works mostly as a uh, a documentary. I think it's actually a good documentary about him as a musician. And I think it really captures a lot of his music pretty well. And the sound is pretty good. I don't know that Mike, as a professional, would say the same thing, but and, <laughs> and how much he played with the sound when we were editing it. But, you know, it's it was shot on SVHS, which was kind mm. of the, the format at that time. Um, and we were on another uh, popcorn counter, we were talking about uh, making... Um, uh, Making it's almost like making a mixtape. You're working from cassette to cassette, um, and this felt very similar, but on SVHS. But it was really my first project ever. I'd wanted to make a film, um, and Steve was doing some performances, so we shot him live and then turned it into a documentary, working around his live material. And what what were your roles on the picture, the two of you? Well, I came into it a little bit late, and I may have been out of town working elsewhere. I'm not sure, and I remember. Um, seeing all this footage and, and Andre's talking about it and then he showed me a lot of, of the stuff he'd been shooting. So he'd been working on it for some time. And at some point, he showed me essentially a kind of a rough cut. And that's, and that's really when I got involved because I saw like... He, I saw the, 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 he might have had a script to, to match it as well, but I saw the, the, the elements of what wanted to be this final film, but it was, it was pretty rough. It was kind of, kind of strung together. Um, and in fact, it was kind of what's often referred to as an assembly cut where you literally, literally just assemble the scenes in the sequence that they should appear in. 
Um, and then we started talking about, well, how can we make the scenes more dynamic? And, and there was, you actually had quite a good amount of material. So we figured out ways to, to, to start cutting, start uh, picking up the pace a little bit, cutting away to certain things, um, layer the sound a little bit where one song might uh, play now serve as uh, the soundtrack for the next scene and then come back out of it and, and things like that. So um, that's really how I got involved. I didn't do any of the sound recording. And this was all kind of dubbing from tape to tape. Yeah, the old ways, yeah. Wow. The, the first thing you do is you, I loved this, you lay down black, right? You make a, you basically yes. make a black slate first. You had to the, lay, it's like the control, the control track, I think they call it. Control track, yeah, exactly. So you had to put that down first and then you start cutting on top of that. And uh, if you make mistakes, you sort of have to go back and redo the black from a certain point. Wow. Uh, and, and I knew none of this. I mean, I had just decided I wanted to make a film and started, um, you know, shooting stuff. And as Mike said, I started, I did kind of a very rough assembly. So I was very lucky to have Mike come on when he did. Um, it's a blemish on his otherwise stellar film <laughs> career. And I apologize to you, Michael, for that. And I apologize to Jimmy for uh, making you watch it. And I believe our listeners, I'm going to apologize. I need to apologize to the listeners too, but they can see it right on the YouTube uh, channel, I believe, right? You can. So it's, it is now up. So yeah, it's on our, our YouTube channel. If you go to yeah the Two Real Cinema Club channel on YouTube, so it stands out because it's the first you know non podcast content. That's right uh, on the channel. Yeah. Um, so yeah, uploaded it a week or so ago. Um, it's a blast. It's uh, fantastic. Not only just to enjoy the upright guitar playing, and I think it's you know, it's very clever. It's masterful the way that the kind of the the documentary mockumentary kind of slowly unfolds more details and you kind of you start to learn a little bit more about Steve and the way that the kind of the, the, the underlying story is revealed, I think it's very skillful. It's a lot of fun to watch. Um, and also for me, you know, it gave me a very, very strong um, 90s nostalgia hit. Yeah. <laughs> it was the music, the clothes, the hair. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a friend also called Steve who had a haircut just like Steve's in the film. <laughs> um, and it really brought it brought those days back to me those um those kind of yeah 90s heady kind of studenty days back yeah. to me, like very very strongly i yeah. it made me feel a bit emotional actually it was like oh. standing, uh, going in a in a time machine so yeah great fun steve brilliant guitarist there is some great guitar playing yeah and i think it's a, a skillful decision on the part of the people who made the film i wonder who those guys are um to concentrate on the music and build the film around yeah. the music yeah um, I don't know how many original songs there are. There's kind of some original songs and some covers, and it's probably, I would say, 12 songs at yeah, least. something like that. Um, you're kind of cutting in and out of these songs, and you know, in part they illustrate the um, story, and in part they contrast with the story. Yeah. Um, it's all about the music, and the music is great. The playing is great, very enjoyable. Yeah, so for listeners uh, who haven't seen it yet, uh, Steve has this peculiar way of playing his guitar. He has sort of just a regular acoustic guitar, but he plays it straight up almost like a cello and he uses a lot of different tunings and he's really just sort of it's very percussive because he's sort of slapping at it to make the chords and uh he's just a great writer too i really enjoy the song so for me my favorite part about it is just how it works as a a document or a record of his um playing in various clubs and him showcasing his music and i think that's really the strength of the film 
Um, I did sort of, as Michael said, I sort of scripted it out a little bit. We did some interviews um, and a lot of sort of obviously mock or very scripted interviews. Um, so it was sort of loosely scripted, but I knew that we were going to be depending on the music to really keep it going. And again, I knew nothing. So when Michael was saying that I did an assembly cut of it first, I mean, I, at first I literally just wrote on scraps of paper. Jimmy's seen me do this sort of stuff too when we write together. <laughs> where I just <laughs> had, I had, I think, 81 or 100, something like that, scraps of paper of the things that I had shot. And I just sort of put them together in my mind and then started just assembling them. But um, without a proper editor, and I'd seen some of Mike's um, editing from from Temple and some of his films and so it was just great to have him come in and actually uh, teach me that stuff, show me how it was done, and just to have another brain on it. Because I think it, I don't know if the assembly edit was a lot longer, it gets down to about 57 minutes, but I think at one point we were hitting an hour and a half, and part of it was just, I don't want to cut this bit of Steve playing this song because I love this song. Um, and part of it was just because I had too much junk in there and it just needed to be cut by someone else. So um, that's kind of how it came together and what I... I see its function as being a really a record for Steve as well, but sadly we do paint him in this uh, this other light, as you said. The story does come out slowly, and I think we did do a pretty good job with that. Um, but that's all fictional. So there is this kind of yeah, this kind of slow reveal of a kind of you know cross dressing Steve, and I was going to ask you, you know, whether that comes from Steve or whether that was um, something that was completely invented for the film. Uh, I'll answer that one quickly, and I think one thing that's not very clear is that uh, a lot of the footage comes from this one it was a, a women's singer-songwriter um, night of entertainment and it was called Where's Richard which I thought right. was kind of clever and it's I, I think we should have a shot of the poster in there mm-hmm. at one point um, and Stephen had asked to, to to participate in that songwriter's night and he had um, sort of a proposed that he dress as a woman in order to do it. It's the one time he did it. He never did it other than that. So we built this whole film and this persona around that. But it only happened one night, and it was really one... I think it was the first night we recorded. That's how I decided to make that film. It's like, Steve's going to be performing cross-dressing. I'm going to get a camera, and I'm going to uh, film it. And I was really unfamiliar with the camera. So a lot of, there's a lot of weird stuff that happens. A lot of the effects, the visual effects, are really just me accidentally hitting a button and then taking <laughs> 10, 20 awkward seconds to figure out how to unpress that button. And these are the old, you know, the old SVHS cameras, which were a little heavier, a little bigger, um, but they had all these little buttons that give you little effects. And uh, so a lot of them, the things that I'm least proud of are the odd visual effects that were completely accidental. Some of them were intentional, but a lot of it was accidental. But the funny thing is, is, is shooting it that way gives you the sense that they may have come from different performances. Sometimes you don't, you don't, yeah. as a viewer, you don't piece it together like, oh, this is the same night. So it, it, it actually helps. It makes it seem like it was, a, it was a longer process. Yeah, it absolutely doesn't look like it's all from the same night. You're right. Um, and also kind of the, some of the, like the visual effects do give it a bit of a, again, it's a kind of, it's like a sort of a retro nostalgic yeah. kind of 90s, 90s low budget pop video feel. Yeah. Well, that's definitely what it was. Yeah, and you you can reproduce that by using the actual, you know, the actual equipment, isn't it? Yeah. Um, last week, Mike, we were talking about oh. you know um, recording using a Nagra recorder and things like that, and you remember you saying at the time, you know, they were you know analog and clunky and large and heavy to carry around, but you know had a great sound and still you know and still perfectly functional. And I wonder whether I'm guessing there must be some people working in the industry now 
um, you know, maybe somebody like Christopher Nolan, I don't know, who might choose to record on an agro because that's you know the way that you're going to capture some of that kind of you know seventies or eighties oh, yeah. cinema feel. It's funny. It's funny you say that because I know specifically of two major films that perhaps you've seen, and this shall remain nameless, but uh, both directors. <laughs> Um, two different, very well-known Hollywood directors were starting out a project, and they started off from the basis of, of really, really, almost insisting, but in, really inquiring, what is the possibility of the sound re- mixer using Anagra and recording Anagra? We're going to shoot on film. <laughs> oh, yeah. Although the funny thing is, is one of them shot on film, the other one didn't. The other one shot in digital, but he still wanted it to be recorded on analog because it... It was a period piece. I don't, I don't want to give it away. It was a period piece. So he wanted it to sound old, and he thought that this would uh, help contribute to that. And part of the politics of working in the film industry is you have to say yes to a lot of things until they slowly <laughs> work themselves out until everyone comes around to an agreement that, no, that's really not the best idea. But you play along for a little bit. Um, and in the other case, on the a project that I didn't work on, but a very good close friend of mine did. Um, they took it quite, quite far. They ended up shooting, uh, some test. They did some test shooting and some of, some of which ended up as a music video for a famous pop group. And they did this with the Nagra. Um, and so my friend had to go to some, uh, do some research. They had to find a Nagra, because they no longer owned their, their own Nagra. They used to, but they had sold it. So had to go, go find a Nagra <laughs> and then find a company oh, that still made the tape to use on a Nagra. Oh, um, oh, and boy. get it. And all, you know, there's a lot of... Anyways, they went to quite, uh, quite great lengths. Um, and then ultimately, before the, the real filming began, it was decided, okay, that was, that was a nice idea, but we're not going to do that. Yeah. <laughs> The funny and so the the funny thing about um, from the visual standpoint, and this will come back to debutante, which is um, if you shoot on film, which is an old technology, if you shoot on thirty five millimeter or 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 larger IMAX, say like Christopher Nolan shoots a lot of yeah. IMAX, you can shoot that and it looks incredible. And some still will say that's the standard for for great um, visual, mm. um, but if you're using inferior equipment, such as an SVHS camera, yeah. it when you watch it now, it that also helps you feel like you're in the 90s. It looks like from the 90s. Yeah. And it does not at all, you know, you couldn't use it today and feel like, oh, I can make something that's going to be, really be great with this Yeah. With this piece of equipment. Whereas you, you could record with an Agra and it would be fantastic. Ah. You know, it's just, imp- it's, it's impractical. But 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 quality wise, it it would be you know still be at a high very high level. What was that uh, David Lynch film that was done with um, uh, video cameras? Um, Inland Empire, which I never mm. saw, but I think that was all shot with you know like cheap little handheld camcorders. Yeah. So I think it is still a potential artistic decision. Yes. Yeah, it can be. There was someone. You remember there was a little um, what was the toy camera that came out? I think it was made by Mattel. It was like Pixel Vision oh, or yeah, something right, like just, that, and, yeah, and and I remember super, seeing super some res. super low res, and and that was kind of cool, and it, it created a very particular look. Um, 
which can be cool if that's, you know, but you're stuck with that look. <laughs> yeah. 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 You can't fix it in post. Yeah. Um, Andres, when you yeah. shot Stephen's scenes when he was playing live, yeah. um, were you using the microphone uh, in the camera or were you recording the sound separately? Do you remember? I do remember. Um, those I, I liked the old cameras in the sense that they were they were bigger and heavier, so you really felt like you had you didn't necessarily need a tripod if you had your shoulder because they were so big that they weren't going to move around a lot without you moving it. Um, but I was tethered at times to a soundboard, so on a couple of the gigs I was able to get a line out from the soundboard, ah. which was capturing his audio, and then it was reduced to, I guess what is called an earphone plug or an earphone jack um, okay. on the old cameras. Um, so you could get it right into the camera. I think for a couple, we, we used what was the onboard camera, which uh, the onboard microphone, which they weren't bad microphones, but they weren't great. So I was very lucky. I think most of the gigs we had sound from the soundboard, um, which worked well. Um, Otherwise, I would say, boy, if you're these guys who are struggling to reproduce bad sound from the earlier days, I, I did it. I can do it. I could do that today. I could create bad sound today. So, um, But I think we lucked out. It's mostly decent sound. For some of the interviews and such, we had either lav mics, lavalier mics, or even a table mic here and there. Um, so I, I never really trusted the onboard mics just because the, it depended on where the camera person was or where I was holding the camera. You know, They didn't have that kind of range or that kind of di- um, directional um function or dynamism so um usually it was straight out of the board or some sort of table mic or lavalier so it came off pretty well michael and i need to make this clear he did not work on the sound at all until the (laughs) editing stage so if you're thinking boy that sound on that film sucks how did that guy make a career out of it in the industry um no he did not really uh, record any sound that i recall on this project um he is in the film, though, he's the heckler. Oh, wait yeah. a second! And it's funny, I had forgotten that until you mentioned it, uh, and then I was oh, like, "Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there was the one." And it ended up, it ended up being this mirror shot because we wanted to capture a heckler in the audience as well as Steve performing and being heckled. Um, so it was a little bit elaborate. We had to set it up so that uh, Mike was standing up and, and heckling him while sta- catch, catching his image in the mirror and then filming Steve as he was tuning. It was wonderful because Steve does spend a lot of time. This is probably why he doesn't gig anymore. He spent so much time tuning <laughs> that you probably heard as much tuning as you did songs if you caught him live. Um, so we heckled him on his tuning, and uh, he was very good-natured about it. Um, but that was a setup scene. He was just doing a gig somewhere that night, and I don't think that was very impromptu, so I don't think we had great sound, for example, but um, he does play a pretty nice song. Um, I think it's Art in America is that song. And uh, mm. so we did capture that as well. But we all appear in the film. I'm actually in the film very briefly playing bongos. And oh. in Steve, Steve and I were in a like a polka band, uh, bongo polka band. Um, and so I'm in the film as well. So all three of us are in the film, um, which also makes it just kind of a nice memory in our voices. The thing about, for me, I hear my voice a lot because I'm doing uh, interviews and asking him questions, and I just feel like my voice is so much younger then. So it is nostalgic. It's also sad. <laughs> old voice. Nostalgia is um, fundamentally a sad emotion, isn't it, I, I think. think so, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's always tinged with a little bit of sadness for sure yeah if you're looking if you're looking back purely with joy then it's not nostalgia anymore is it it's just a happy memory but i mean the thing about that film is that it was a great project i was working with two great friends on a, on both music and film at the same time 
I was late twenties. I was I turned thirty when I when we finished this film, and I, my goal was to sort of one of my secret goals: make a film before thirty. Hey. Did that, and we got it done. And it was I just think back on it fondly, and I do have this one memory also, though, um, how much I was really depending on my friends in the sense that. Um, I had bronchitis towards the end of this. We were, you know, we were trying to get it ready for my thirtieth birthday. We had this, the, we we had the Dairy Center for the Arts where Steve and I were working. We had it booked. We were going to make it into like a little theater that night. Um, I had bronchitis. I was so so sick, and Prim was just back in the studio. Who's just in the in the the. Uh, the editing bays at uh, Community Access Television in Boulder, Colorado, and he just kept cranking it out. And it's like, I didn't have to worry about it. You know, I could just sit there and cough and throw up and just be lazy for a couple of days <laughs> while the film was just being taken care of. So it was just nice to have trusted hands where I could say, he knows the vision, he's he's fully invested now, he can do it, and I can just check it out later. It was it was funny. It was it, In some ways, for me, it was kind of like being back at university because shooting on SVHS with the big old tape decks editing. Yeah. Was, well, that was the stuff we had. Yeah. And so back, you know, working with that stuff again was fun. Yeah, and it's just, it is sort of a, it's a record of a certain period in time. You know, I spent yeah. six months on it, maybe seven months on it. And it's just a, it's it's nostalgic in that way. And I think that is a good memory. I loved making the film. It was fun. I loved uh, just doing interviews with Steve and other people and just going to his concerts and, and capturing it on tape. Um, that was great. Then what happened to the film after you'd finished it? Um, it aired on the access station. So the very station that was providing me with gear and give us the editing studios. It aired for a long time. I mean, you know, it became this sort of underground thing and, and late at night it would come on and, and Steve would occasionally people would say, Hey, Steve, I saw you on TV <laughs> wearing a dress and playing music. So you'd have these people staying up late at night watching it or coming on and it ran for a long time just because they didn't have a lot of that kind of material. They you know, the the public access scene is sort of these local talk shows or um these sort of niche hobbies that people put up on screen and, and no one watches. So to have something that was a little bit different at that time I think made it kind of popular. Um, I went the festival route a little bit, so that's right. the, that's the days when you're really, literally making copies. I think I had one DVD master, and they would make VHS copies, and you'd send them off to festivals, paying lots of postage, buying lots of packing materials, and all that, right. and yep. writing letters. It was the old days, and a couple a couple places did pick it up. But there was a small like video club in Boston that really gave me some nice feedback. They really enjoyed, they had a good laugh out of it. Um, but obviously didn't place in any festivals or anything like that. But it, it spread out a little bit. Um, but it did play probably a year or so on um, public access in Boulder just because they didn't have much to play. <laughs> oh you are too modest. Played for a year because it was good. Filler. It was filler. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, no, that's the sad thing is it wasn't the filler. The filler was around it. Oh, it was boy. the main event. You were yeah. the headliner for a year. Um, Mike, after doing Debutante, have mm-hmm. you done much editing on other people's projects since? No, it's funny you should say I I haven't really done much editing at all since then. Um, I just started into my sound career and kind of followed that. So I haven't done any professionally. Now, I've made a couple of little short films um, after a number of years had passed, 10 or more years, and then I decided, like, for mm-hmm. instance, one, I, I made a little short film with my son when he was younger, and and I found, um, it's about him going out and taking a canoe out for a ride in the in the river near our old house, and, um, 
and I found the experience quite enjoyable. And I kept thinking, like, you know, mm-hmm. this is actually kind of fun. I like I like doing this. I I get why editors like to edit. I started to really enjoy it. But it yeah. kind of ties back to I was telling you in a previous conversation about why I didn't go into music. Uh, music recording is because I didn't want to work on stuff I didn't like. Um, and I think mm. part of, I think part of that is it's hard to drum to sum up the motivation to do it. And right, yeah. I think I think I would feel that way with with editing if I like with making my little short film, but also with making debutant. It was something that like I was really engaged in personal on a personal level. Yeah. So then I felt really, you know, uh, fully engrossed in the experience. And once I got into it, that's that's when you experience those days where like, oh, I've been I've been sitting in front of the screen for ten hours editing, but yeah, screw dinner. I want to keep going because I want to finish the scene. Yeah. You know, you you. you you get this uh, right, yeah. this internal drive, um, you know, which is can be detrimental to your health, but it's certainly you know it's nice to your personal you know to your life to have those moments where you're yeah. feeling some sort of passion about something. I, I agree. It's just great to indulge that creative urge and be inspired like that, even if the material's not great necessarily or it's not going to age well. Just having a project like that is fun. Um, and I have seen Michael's shorter films, and they're beautiful. I mean, they're much better now. Now that you can work on a digital camera and get better sound and such, but um, are they are they available online, Mike? Um, only for a select few. <laughs> <laughs> Although, no, the the film I was referring to about with my son, I did I submitted that to a couple of little festivals, and the only one yeah. it got into uh, was here in my hometown of Albany, California. We have this uh, little hometown film festival, and they get a few films from elsewhere that come in but they also i my film was featured in the locals uh section mm. oh nice um so it got it got one you know one day where it screened on the big screen in the movie theater um along with well, along with a handful of other films and that was nice well i imagine uh, the two real cinema cl- crowd is gonna probably start clamoring for that so we might have to post it with your permission or without we've mm. we've used your music uh, without your permission before so the fun, the well, the funny thing is, is um, I'd be happy to give you my permission. It's whether or not my son is too keen oh, on it. Oh, oh now, he's now, younger. Now that he's a teenager and he looks back on those younger yeah. years, you know, he gets really concerned about how he looks. And oh, Dad, he looks he looks like a cute little rascal. Anyways, um, yeah, I'm I'm sure we could we can work something out when we negotiate the uh, the fees for the music that you're using. Um, <laughs> I'm sure we can. <laughs> We never should have mentioned that. I, I remember you were probably at kind of like a similar stage making some short like comedy films with some friends. This would have been like, you know, um, kind of yeah, late 90s, early 2000s and sending them around to festivals. And that whole scene kind of doesn't exist anymore, I guess, as, as far as I'm aware, at least. I mean, here in the UK, I think you know, the notion of a short film festival has sort of been murdered by YouTube, which is a yeah. you know, 24-hour-a-day international short film mm-hmm. festival. Um, I, uh, and this notion of you know leaving the house and going somewhere to watch a bunch of short films that have been curated by a, a stranger, I don't think that's something that exists anymore. Um, at the at the time, I remember when I was going to a lot of these little short film festivals and hoping to get something in, and you know you you do your best and you kind of want to see what other people are doing and try and make some some um, uh, some connections. And I remember at the time, most of the short films that I used to watch, they used to fall into like one of three categories. They would either be, you know, like a short seven-minute film made by you know some sort of twenty or thirty-something people in a in an apartment, 
and which is obviously the apartment of one of them. And it would be involving, you know, people coming in and going out of rooms in an apartment. And it was another apartment film. Yeah. <laughs> um, or there was kind of you know something very experimental that didn't make any sense and seemed to have no narrative and was like uh, full of lots of shaky cam. And there were ones that were good. And there was like, there was like these are the three categories. And it was always such a relief when you'd see a film which wasn't one of the bad ones. Yeah. Oh, at last, a good one. Not one shot in somebody's apartment. You know, not one where they can't keep the camera uh, still. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the whole thing, I guess, doesn't really exist anymore, does it? It's it's all gone online. Well, I think, I think it has gone away. I think that there's little pockets. It's not as prevalent perhaps as it was, but there's still little things. I see things, like in my area, there's groups I see on Facebook who have um, short uh, filmmaking weekends where they, they have a challenge to make a film over the course of one weekend and then share the results. Cute. Um, but as far as the festivals, those are even, you know, a little bit harder. Oh, yeah. the, the word weekend always, but we were talking about this the other week, always makes me think of Paul Schrader boasting that he wrote the script of Taxi Driver in a weekend. I'm hoping that your Facebook friends who make a weekend film basically make Taxi Driver. Is that <laughs> right? Do they make a, <laughs> that, make well, a violent 90-minute film about th- uh, that's the goal. About a would-be uh, presidential assassin? Yeah, that, that's, yeah. I think that's <laughs> The goal that they're Lighting aiming goals. for? Yeah, I don't know if it's achieved, but it's, uh, <laughs> you know, it's attempted. attempted. Yeah, I think uh, it's more important for me, just make it, you know. Um, and I think in, in Debutante, we've set the bar very low, which is great. You know, you just for future filmmakers, just make a damn film. Have some fun because you will remember doing it. And it was a great experience. And I think that's it. Whether And I, I like those festivals. It's a 48-hour film. You're supposed to write a script. Most people come with something kind of already prepared, and then you just shoot it and you make it. And I think that is a great that is a great model. I've never done it. I've seen it happen. I've been in towns where it was happening, but um, I like the model. If you, I know I, I asked a similar question earlier, but if you could uh, open the time portal and step back 25 years and, and, and talk to yourselves um, 25 years ago making Debutante, um, what would your message from the future be? Would it be make sure you capitalize on this or enjoy it while it lasts or um, make sure you charm the open access people? Hmm. My message would be there's a big pile of crappy films out there. Make sure your crappy film gets in there too. <laughs> That's it. Um, just do it. It's yeah. fun. Put it, put it on the pile. And, and you'll, yeah, and you'll learn from it. I think that's the other thing is I learned so much about writing and editing and camera work and everything just on that film, and I wouldn't have made it if I hadn't made the first crappy film. So I just said, just, just do it. Just do it. Just do it. Yeah. I mean, the thing that really stands out to me is that, you know, here's some young people getting a bit of equipment and making a film, and the film is an hour long. Whereas, you know, currently short-form video means that, you know, you're a filmmaker if you make a 40-second film on TikTok. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know whether... Whether you know there is the capacity for making you know these longer form, yeah. um, low budget films, I feel like you know, uh, you know if something does end up on YouTube, it's only a hit if it's under under six minutes. And having the ambition and the and the sheer um, your know, mental coordination to gather a story together over a whole hour, I think is a complete you know a, a different level of achievement. It's true. I was going to say, speaking yeah. of uh, reaching certain levels of achievement and time limits, I think we got to get in to see this movie. You're right. We should. We should. You're right. I've let the, well, we've been waiting at the popcorn counter for weeks now. See, I've been queuing for popcorn all this time, <laughs> not yeah. realizing that Mike's got it all stuffed in his pocket. Oh yeah. So I should. <laughs> I'm ready to go. I, I am. Re- I'm ready to go and having a hard time and having a hard time not eating it while we're standing. <laughs> right. The screening. The screening. All right, guys. 